Hi, and welcome to Straight Shot Radio. My name is Johnny Slick, and I'm the owner and head coach at Straight Shot Training. Sugar has a pretty bad reputation. We've all heard about how consuming it leads to obesity, and is physically addictive, or it causes type 2 diabetes, even how eating sugar can increase your risk of cancer. And with the severity of these accusations against a single food, it's easy to see why sugar is considered a poison by just about everyone in the fitness world. But with all of the hysteria out there, how many people have looked into the science behind sugar and the studies behind all of these claims? That's what we're going to do on today's episode. We're going to take a look at what sugar really is, how your body actually handles it, and what the scientists conducting the latest research say about the claims being made against sugar. Sugar has become a vague term encompassing all kinds of different things, ranging from fruit to candy to honey, and some people make distinctions about sugar. They make distinctions between natural sugars, like those found in fruit and in maple syrup, and processed sugars, like table sugar and high fructose corn syrup. And oftentimes people will say natural sugars are okay, but processed sugars are evil. So we're going to get more specific here and shed some light on this mysterious chemical known as sugar. First of all, all sugars are forms of carbohydrate, and their primary role in the body is energetic, meaning the body uses them to produce cellular energy. And there are three forms of sugars. There's monosaccharides, oligosaccharides, and polysaccharides. So we're going to take a quick look at each of these. Monosaccharides are often called simple sugars because they have a very simple structure. Mono means one, saccharide means sugar, so one sugar. The monosaccharides are glucose, fructose, and galactose. Glucose is a type of sugar also known as blood sugar, which is found in our blood and produced from the food that we eat. So when people talk about blood sugar levels, they're actually talking about the amount of glucose floating around in their bloodstream. Fructose is a type of sugar found naturally in fruit and also found in processed products like sucrose or table sugar and high fructose corn syrup, both of which are about 50% fructose and 50% glucose. Fructose is converted into glucose by the liver and then released into the blood for use. Galactose is another type of sugar that's found in dairy products and it's metabolized very similar to the way that fructose is going through the liver and then released into the bloodstream for use. Oligosaccharides are molecules that contain several monosaccharides that are linked together in these chain-like structures. Oligos is Greek for few, so few sugars. And these sugars are one of the components of fiber that are found in plants, which our bodies are able to partially break down into glucose, and then they leave this fibrous, indigestible part behind, and that fibrous stuff left behind does good things in our guts. We all know about the good stuff that fiber does. Many vegetables also contain fructo-oligosaccharides, which are these short chains of fructose molecules, and these are metabolized accordingly, where the chains are broken down and the individual fructose molecules are then converted by the liver into glucose for use. Another common form of oligosaccharide that we eat is raffinose, and raffinose is comprised of a chain of galactose, glucose, and fructose, so it's called a trisaccharide. And this can be found in beans and cabbage 
uh, Brussels sprouts, broccoli, asparagus, and other vegetables, and in whole grains as well. Galacto-oligosaccharides round out the list of oligosaccharides, and these are short chains of galactose molecules. They are indigestible, but they do play a role in stimulating healthy bacteria growth in the gut. Now, polysaccharides are long chains of monosaccharides, usually containing 10 or more monosaccharide units. Starch, which is the energy stores of plants, and cellulose, which is a natural fiber that's found in a lot of plants, are two examples of polysaccharides that we often eat. And our bodies are able to easily break down these starches into glucose, but not cellulose, and it passes through our digestive system intact, so thus it's, it's a form of dietary fiber. But if you notice the pattern between all of these different types of sugars, you'll notice that they all end up as glucose. And I want to draw attention to this because it's very important for understanding the bigger picture about sugar. All forms of carbohydrate that we eat are either metabolized into glucose or they're left indigested serving as dietary fibers. So eventually all carbs become sugar and that's not a bad thing. That's just how it works. That's how our body processes things to use them to give us energy. Our body can't distinguish between the natural sugar found in fruit or honey or milk and the processed sugar that's found in a candy bar. They are all digested in the same way. They're broken down into monosaccharides, which are then turned into glucose, which is then shipped off to your brain or your muscles or your organs for use. So yes, in the end, the candy bar turns into glucose just like a cup of peas. And yes, the candy bar will turn into glucose faster, but that's really the only difference. The candy bar has a bunch of monosaccharides that are metabolized very quickly, whereas that cup of peas will have a bunch of oligosaccharides that would take longer. But they're all going to end up as glucose, even the same amount. So if you have 20 grams of glucose that come from a candy bar eventually, and 20 grams that end up from the peas turning into glucose, it's still 20 grams of glucose that's going to be in your bloodstream. And I am absolutely not saying that peas equal candy bars, so skip your vegetables and start busting out Snickers bars. But I'm trying to show you that it's basically impossible to avoid eating sugar because eventually carbs will turn into sugar in your bloodstream at some point, unless you're following a ketogenic diet. Um, if you're in ketosis, uh, you're not eating any carbohydrates. But if you're eating any carbohydrates at all, you're going to be eating sugars every day in one form or another. Now, most people know that the sugars found in fruit and vegetables aren't harmful unless you're consuming them in obscene, like next to impossible amounts. But table sugar, which is sucrose, and high fructose corn syrup are often vilified. And these are the molecules, we're told, that cause obesity and they cause dysfunction and, and disease. And these are the added sugars that we must avoid at all costs. But my question is, can anyone actually explain why? Because from a, from a chemistry standpoint, they're pretty simple. Table sugar, or sucrose, is a disaccharide, or, or two sugars. It consists of one part fructose and one part glucose. Sucrose, the molecule of sucrose, occurs naturally in pineapples and in sweet potatoes, uh, it's, it's in beets, it's obviously in sugar cane, um, it's also in walnuts, uh, pecans, cashews, and we use a lot to add to foods to make them sweeter. So this is your table sugar. High fructose corn syrup is chemically similar 
to sucrose, usually consisting of about 55% fructose and 45% glucose. And high fructose corn syrup isn't found in nature. It's produced artificially. And the only difference between it and sucrose is the fructose and the glucose aren't chemically bonded, which means your body has to do even less work to metabolize it into glucose. So when you look at it that way, they don't seem that terrible, right? They're just, they're very quick sugars. And the exact same sucrose that's found in pineapple is no different chemically than the sucrose that's in your favorite dessert. And high fructose corn syrup is extremely similar chemically to sucrose. Then if all of this is true, why are we told that eating sucrose in a pineapple is okay, but the chemically identical sucrose in your Snickers bar is disastrous. And why are we told that high fructose corn syrup instantly turns into body fat or it causes instant diabetes when di in, whenever you digest it? Well, like a lot of the things that we talk about on this show, it's all about balance. Because both of those can be dangerous when they're overconsumed and when they're not part of a calorically balanced diet. And it's true, some people's bodies do better with all forms of carbohydrates than others. And it's simply not true that sucrose or even high fructose corn syrup are especially fattening. There's nothing special about them that make them fattening. Because there's nothing crazy about those two molecules. If you could look at sucrose under a microscope from pineapple and sucrose from the, the little tin of sugar that's sitting out on your counter, they look exactly the same. And they're eventually, both of them are going to end up as glucose that your body uses, just like any other carbohydrate. And in fact, carbohydrates in all forms aren't actually stored as body fat as easily as dietary fats are. So technically speaking, olive oil is more easily converted to body fat than sugar. But, I mean, that would be crazy to think that we should stop using olive oil and start using sugar on top of our salads or something because it's it's harder for a body because our body does have to take sugar turn it into glucose and then convert it into body fat whereas it's much easier to do that when you eat dietary fat but of course eating dietary fat isn't bad for you that's probably a whole other episode that we could get into that so when it comes to being confused about what things make you fat and what things don't we want to know well what does make you fat then and that's overeating Feeding your body more energy or calories than it needs every day. And this is regardless of what foods are providing that excess energy. Now, if this is still kind of hard to believe, I've got some studies that I want to share with you. The first one we have comes from the Sugar Bureau in the UK, and they set out to determine whether there should be a guideline for daily sugar consumption. And they found that increased sugar intake was associated with leanness, but not obesity and concluded that there simply wasn't enough evidence to warrant a quantitative guideline for sugar consumption. Another study was conducted by researchers at the University of Hawaii, and it's an extensive review of sugar-related literature. And here's a quote from their paper. They said, It is important to state that at the outset, there is no direct connection between added sugar intake and obesity unless excessive consumption of sugar-containing beverages and foods led to energy imbalance and the resultant weight gain. 
So overconsumption and energy imbalance are the keywords here. Remember, energy balance is calories in equal calories out. If you eat more calories than you need to live, you gain weight. And it's a known fact that over the past couple of decades, Americans have been increasing the amount of calories that we eat every day. And much of this increase is in the form of carbohydrates, primarily from soft drinks. So yes, soda is making us fat. But there's nothing inherently evil about the chemical makeup of sucrose or glucose. So it's not the sugar's fault that we are getting fatter as Americans. The more carbohydrates you eat, the more calories you put into your body. And calories equal energy. The more energy you give your body, the more energy you have to burn to prevent fat storage. And whether you give your body a lot more energy than it needs every day from excessive amounts of protein, excessive amounts of carbs, or excessive amounts of dietary fat, you will get fatter. This has been conclusively proven in clinical research. There's no debating this. But here's where we get to my actual problem with sugar intake and getting or staying overweight. The more foods that you eat with added sugars, the easier it is to overeat. And this is especially true of liquid carbohydrates, so beverages with added sugar. You can drink a thousand calories and be hungry an hour later. Whereas eating a thousand calories of food, including a good portion of protein and fiber, will probably keep you full for five or six hours. So my problem is not with sugar, the molecule, it's with eating too much and it's easy to eat too much when it comes to sugar. And that's basically my only problem with it. So we've talked about weight gain and sugar, but what about other issues that people have with it? So long-term high intake of simple sugars, like disaccharides like sucrose and high fructose corn syrup, has been associated with an increased risk of heart disease and type 2 diabetes. And many fitness experts will use a factoid like that as definitive evidence that simple sugars will ruin your health. But it's really misleading. There are other factors to consider. One is the fact that the effects of these simple sugars vary greatly among individuals depending on their level of body fat and how active they are. So overweight, sedentary bodies don't deal with simple sugars nearly as well as lean, physically active ones do. And when you mix all forms of carbohydrates with other foods, the insulin response is mitigated meaning eating a couple of tablespoons of sucrose on an empty stomach causes a larger insulin reaction in the body than eating a couple of tablespoons of sucrose as part of a mixed meal like a soda with a meal or a dessert after dinner. Now, even as part of a mixed meal, simple sugars still do elevate insulin levels higher than more complex forms of carbohydrate like the polysaccharides found in vegetables. But for the most part, your body's insulin response to a soda with a meal or a meal with a sweet potato is very similar because the fat and the protein and the fiber in the rest of the meal will slow down the blood sugar spike and subsequent insulin response. So from all of this, we can derive a sensible recommendation. If you are overweight and you don't exercise, you should not be eating a bunch of simple sugars every day. You probably will be harming your health. When you're overweight or inactive, you don't metabolize sugars very well. And like we said before, you'll end up overeating on them along with other foods. On the other hand, if you exercise regularly and you aren't overweight, your body can deal with simple sugars just fine. You're not going to get diabetes or ruin your heart by eating a little bit more sugar than is necessary every day. Like I said here, moderation is the key and it has to be in balance with the rest of your life. So managing your weight 
your exercise routine, and adding these sugars into a balanced diet. Another health-related concern is the fact that eating a lot of foods with added sugars can reduce the amount of micronutrients your body gets and thus cause deficiencies. And many foods with added sugars just don't have much in the way of essential vitamins and minerals. So the solution here is obvious as well. Get the majority of your daily calories from healthy foods or nutrient-dense foods and you'll be fine. So I try to get 90 to 95% of my carbohydrates from vegetables, fruit, uh, sweet potatoes, rice, oatmeal, and then the remaining carbs, if I have some left over, are for if I want a donut or I use some every day for the dextrose that I use as a carb source in my post-workout drink. You just have to balance it all out. Now, another health concern people have about sugar is that it's physically addictive. There was a study performed on rats a while back, and they concluded that sugar was just as addictive as cocaine, meaning the rats responded to sugar the same way they did to cocaine. Chemically speaking, sugar does not cause a physical addiction like drugs do. A study from neuroscientists at Cambridge looked at that rat study and they compared it to other drug studies and the authors found that while sugar may seem addictive instinctively, the scientific literature is lacking substantial evidence on whether or not this is true. One reason for this is that different areas of the brain are activated in these rodents when they crave food compared to when they crave drugs. And while both types of cravings activate the region of the brain associated with with motivation and the reward system, they activate different parts of that area of the brain. Another reason is that when the rats obtained the desire for sugar or drugs, their brains released dopamine. Uh, this is a chemical which is important in motivation and reward. However, this dopamine release quickly returns back to its original levels after repeated administrations of sugar, but not with cocaine. Additionally, with a lot of these studies can, that are claiming to find sugar reactions uh, or sorry, sugar addiction in rodents, the researchers actually pre-select rats for the study that already have a strong response to sugar. So it would be like if we were doing sugar studies on people who were already diabetic. Well, you, you can't do that. It's going to skew you the entire study, and that's the way that they're studying this, so that they can get better results or easier results. They're picking rats that already have a strong response to sugar. And the addiction-like behavior only occurs under very specific experimental conditions, like food deprivation. They would deprive the rats of food, so when, of course when they gave them sugar, they would act addicted to it, because they would act addicted to any food that they gave it to them at that point. Margaret Westwater, which is one of the lead scientists on this study that looked at the rat study and looked at the other drug studies, she said it's important to be aware that these studies were conducted under conditions that do not resemble our typical environments. So it's another case where a study is done on animals or a study is done in a lab where it doesn't resemble the way things are in the real world and it doesn't re resemble the way things work with humans. In another study at Edinburgh University, scientists found no strong evidence for people being addicted to the chemical substances in certain foods. So like the Cambridge study, they found that the brain does not respond to nutrients in the same way that it responds to addictive drugs like cocaine. However, people can develop a psychological compulsion to eat. And this was driven by what they said were the positive feelings that the brain associates with eating. So the study examined 
the scientific evidence for food addiction as a substance-based addiction and is published in uh, neuroscience and biobehavioral reviews. The scientists said it was a behavioral disorder being addicted to sugar and it should be categorized alongside conditions like a, like a gambling addiction. They suggested that tackling the problem of obesity should be moved away from the food itself and instead focused on the individual's relationship with eating. Man, isn't that like, that's the key to this entire thing. It's not the food. It's our relationship with it and how it fits into our diets. The last concern that we'll cover today regarding sugar and its consumption is that the consumption of sugar causes cancer. So one large study of older U.S. adults did not find a relationship between the amounts of sugar that these older people ate and their risk of developing cancer. Conversely, other studies show that people diagnosed with colon cancer who ate a higher proportion of their total calories in sugar had a higher risk for cancer reoccurrence, but only for people who were already overweight and obese. Because once again, it's how your body manages sugar and not the sweetener itself. That might be the key to this. Studies in breast cancer patients have compared low-carbohydrate diets to low-fat diets and found that the amount of weight people lost, not the diet itself, was the most important factor. So as long as the diet led to weight loss, both diets brought an identical lowering of blood sugar levels and an identical lowering of insulin. Now doctors in a nine-year-long study on cancer published in the journal Nature Communications explained how normal, healthy cells can handle sugar in a controlled way. And they still note that people should watch their total sugar intake because of its association with obesity and obesity's association with cancer. But they did not find that eating more sugar alone puts you at a higher risk for cancer. And they did this over the course of nine years during this study. So like with our other issues, it's not the sugar itself that is the thing you need to be worrying about so much. It's being overweight. And if you are overweight, watching how much sugar you're eating can be a good way to manage your weight and get your weight down because most of the things that you eat with added sugar are not necessary for you to be eating when you're trying to lose weight. Now, sugar does have effects on gut bacteria, and there are plenty of studies out there on sugar and ADD and ADHD and, and a ton of other issues. And if you have more studies to show me about other issues, I would love to read them if you want to send me a link. I really enjoy studying and learning and formulating my own opinion and experimenting with my diet based on what I find. So again, I'm not saying it's okay to drink gallons of Kool-Aid and pound little Debbie cakes like it's your job. I'm really just trying to get you to take responsibility for your diet and your body. Don't go off of the hype from some health food store salesman and something they told you or some book that your friend had you read or something that you saw in the news. And you know what? Don't even take my word for it. Experiment with your diet. Write down what you eat. Track your calories. See exactly what you're taking in and see how your body responds. If you feel and perform and look better by not eating sugar, that's awesome. If you track your calories and you want to enjoy some sugar in moderation with some of your allotted carbs for that day, go for it. Just please understand that your diet is unique to you and it's worth taking the time to figure it out because you're going to be living your body for the rest of your life. Figure out what diet is best for you and go for it. So thank you so much for listening today. If you have a second to leave us a rating on iTunes, that would be awesome. And if you want to send me some of those links to sugar studies or 
something you found, or if you just want to ask me a question about this topic or anything else fitness or nutrition related, you can connect with me on social media using the handle at straightshottraining. If you're looking for a comprehensive fitness plan, check out everything we offer with a subscription to Straight Shot by visiting our website at straightshottraining.com. Thanks again, and have a great week, everybody.